Hello and welcome to a special edition of Never Lick the Spoon. Most of us have been in some form of lockdown now for several weeks, adjusting to the new normal. The global reach of the pandemic has meant billions of jobs and livelihoods affected, and that's not even to mention the hundreds of thousands of lives lost. So, the single most important question we, we being pretty much all of humanity, are asking is when will this end and we get back to the world we had before? The only surefire way is with the development of a vaccine. And even then, it has to be proven safe, not to mention made quickly for billions of people. This monumental task is exactly what a team of researchers right here at Imperial College are trying to do. In this episode, I speak to one of them, Dr. Anna Blakeney, a research fellow in Professor Robin Shattuck's lab in the Department of Medicine. Indeed, Anna's department has a long, illustrious history of fighting diseases. There is a pub directly across from her lab called the Fountain Abbey. The pub claims the rights to inventing penicillin, being directly opposite to Fleming's old laboratory. The Fountain Abbey suggests that spores that landed on his petri dish indeed came from their brewery. These days, or at least up until a few months ago, that's where her lab goes for a drink. Anna herself has spent three and a half years in the lab. Indeed, before the outbreak, she was working on vaccines for other infectious diseases like Ebola, HIV and rabies. So, all in all, it's fair to say that her and the rest of her lab knows a thing or two about infectious diseases. Right now, Anna and the team are at the forefront of the global effort to cure the world of the coronavirus using a new method that saves both time and resources compared to previous methods. Earlier, I caught up with Anna and asked her just what it's like developing arguably the most urgent tool that's ever been needed. Thanks so much, Anna, for joining us. Um, You must be run off your feet at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pretty crazy time so far. Could you begin by telling us a little bit about your research and how you and uh, Professor Robin Shattuck's lab are developing a vaccine for COVID-19? Yeah, so in general, our lab works in vaccine development. So my specific project for the past three and a half years has been on the development of a self-amplifying RNA vaccine platform. RNA stands for ribonucleic acid. Um, So this is a new platform. It's never been tested in humans before, but it has a number of advantages that we're really excited about uh, that actually really make it quite perfect for an outbreak scenario, such as the coronavirus that we're seeing now. Um, So we've applied this to a number of different antigens in the past, but now that all of the coronavirus is going on and there's a major push kind of worldwide to get a vaccine for that, all of our efforts have really focused on to making a coronavirus vaccine. So what is the latest on the vaccine? I suppose it's the it's the question that everyone wants answered. When's it going to be ready? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, When can we expect a COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, we're not we're not the only ones in the world that are um, working on it right now. So actually, the first clinical trial was started by a company that's based out of Boston, but is currently testing it in Seattle called Moderna. So they work on a actually pretty similar vaccine platform, um, which is mRNA. And that just means um, once it gets into a cell, it can make copies of itself. So you get a huge amount of protein expression from a very minimal dose of the RNA. So it's a little bit different from ours because uh, typically the self-amplifying RNA requires a, a much smaller dose. 
So um, obviously a number of different trials have started. We are still doing preclinical animal testing. So we've been getting some really positive results from that. Our first mouse studies are just finishing up. Uh, the next step is really to go into a talk study. So that's just to make sure uh, basically that there's no safety side effects um, associated with the vaccine in animals. And then once that's wrapped up, we can start our phase one clinical trial. So that is set to commence in June of this year. Um, another thing that we're really um, kind of pivoting as we see this outbreak growing more and more is trying to include as many people as possible in these clinical trials. So we were initially going to do 30 people in our phase one trial. Now we're going to do 120, which is really quite large for a phase one. Um, and that's really just so we can try and vaccinate as many people as possible and really um, start to have an effect on the population even before it's a licensed vaccine. Um, and then we're really trying to shoot big. So nothing is nothing is really confirmed yet for the phase two or three, but we've talked about trying to do up to 5,000 people in the phase two and possibly up to 2.5 million in, in the phase three if we're able to actually do that. So, Wow, that's, um, that's a lot of people. But Anna, on a, on a personal level, what's life like in the lab? Everyone's working on something of such huge global significance. It must be hugely exciting. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. So obviously, I mean, we're very passionate about vaccines in general. And one of the reasons for that is it's just a really positive way that you can impact humanity. So I think that's where personally my motivation and the motivation of the team comes in. Um, and, you know, we started working on this in, you know, end of January, kind of as the outbreak was starting to get more and more out of control. And even at that point, it didn't seem like we were kind of questioning, oh, should we do this? You know, should we be shifting all of our efforts to this? Um, and like, I must admit, I was kind of skeptical at the time, just as to how out of <laughs> proportion it was going to blow. Um, but now I think we're really thankful that we did just because it seems more and more that a vaccine will actually be really necessary within society, just as far as, you know, preventing pe more people from getting it and possibly providing a herd immunity. So I think it's more important than ever. Um, and it's really exciting to have that opportunity because while it's, yeah, it's really unfortunate that this is going around, but it's a really interesting way to see if this platform um, is actually like really well suited for outbreaks, like we always say. So it's a good scientific test at the same time. Yeah. And what's it like in the lab? How, how are the people coping? Are, are you getting much sleep? Are people just exhausted? Are they... Is there, or, or conversely, or is everyone excited? Yeah, it's been you quite know, a weird pants, time. So, can't get enough. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a weird time because, as you know, so all of Imperial is shut down except for kind of these key workers. So there are about eight people in our lab that are key workers now. Um, so it's pretty weird coming into a building where only a few people are working. Like, it just feels like kind of a ghost town, which is odd. And even just commuting to and from work, it's so quiet out. It, it's really eerie. Um, but I think largely overall, like we're, we're excited to be doing this and really motivated. Um, I think I've just noticed this generally in the scientific community as well. Like people are so open and so collaborative and just sharing everything right now. So, um, some other people in our building are working on culturing the virus and, 
like we've been talking to them about just, you know, sharing tips of what the best way to do that is and sharing cells and they've gotten advice from other people as well. So it's really seemed like the scientific community has mobilized on really a global scale to be able to do all of this development, not for vac- just for vaccines, but also the diagnostics and, you know, understanding how the virus is changing over time as well. So it's quite an exciting time, albeit weird in the lab. <laughs> yeah. And and how are your hours? Are you are you still are you working more than you usually would? Um. So kind of it's very cyclical, I would say. So, um. Basically, the the bottleneck is always just waiting for these animal studies, really, because we can't really do anything until certain time points or the end of an animal study. So when when that happens, it's really really busy for a few days. Um. And so yeah, I would say more so it's. The hours are, yeah, it really depends on the time that we're at. Um, but it's really just, I think, the focus and drive that we've had for a single project. So everybody's just been like really collaborative and helping out in the lab where they can just because we don't have as many people as normal. So like it's really all hands on deck. Everybody has to be contributing in some way. Um And yeah, so now we're kind of getting closer to the end of these animal studies, which is really exciting. Um, But yeah, we still we ha- still have a lot of things that we're going to test, but these are kind of the key ones for mo- moving into clinical trials. So um, I think like the high pressure time is is kind of now and then we'll be over pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that can't come soon enough. Um, but before you go, Anna, you'll have to promise that you'll come back and let us know how you're all getting on. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Um, we don't necessarily have updates like every day, but it's kind of like every few weeks we have really exciting stuff happening. So yeah, that would be great. Oh, that would be amazing. Anna, thank you so much for speaking with us. Uh, we wish you and everyone in the lab all the best. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And that was Dr. Anna Blakeney there. And we'll be sure to check back in and to see how Anna and her team are getting on with their vitally important work very soon. Before I go, I thought I'd bring you one of the more unusual stories to come out of researching COVID-19. And that is that scientists have turned the structure of the virus into music. The sounds that you'll hear in a moment represent different aspects of the spike protein that protrudes out of the virus's surface. It's this spike, which has a slightly different shape in different viruses, helps the virus latch onto cells in our body. Like all proteins, these spikes are actually made of combinations of amino acids. Using a new technique called sonification, scientists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology have assigned each amino acid with a unique note, converting the entire protein into music. But why set the virus to music in the first place? Well, the new audible format helps scientists find where antibodies, or drugs, might be able to bind simply by searching for specific musical sequences. This, researchers say, is faster and more intuitive than conventional methods such as molecular modelling. They add that by comparing the musical sequence of the spike protein to a large database of other proteins that have been set to music, it might be possible to one day find that one that can stick to the spike, preventing the virus from infecting a cell. As for the instruments, they were entirely the researcher's choice. In this case, you can hear a Japanese koto playing the main notes.
As you listen, you will find the intricate design results in incredibly interesting and actually pleasing, relaxing sounds. It doesn't really convey the deadly impact that the protein is having, does it? The person who made the sound, Marcus Spooler from MIT, explains that this aspect of the music in fact shows the deceiving nature of the virus, how it hijacks our body to replicate and hurt us along the way. So you can think of this music as a metaphor for the nature of the virus and how it deceives the host to exploit it for its own gain. You can listen to the full sequence, it lasts almost two hours, on Marcus Spooler's SoundCloud, catchily titled Viral Counterpoint of the Coronavirus Spike Protein. But I'll include it as a link in this episode's bio. Well, that's it for another episode of Never Lick the Spoon. Please subscribe to us if you haven't already, wherever you found us. And always remember, never lick the spoon.